yourself with this comic book podcast. Keep safe. We're talking about two old, two new comic books on a podcast. Two old and two new comic books. Welcome to Two Old, Two New Comic Book Podcast. My name is Bill Beer, and joining me as always, Sinestro to my Green Lantern, Seth Howard. Good afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. Good evening. <laughs> and joining us tonight, we have a guest, Mr. Sean Hegarty. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Good evening to all of you guys. And, oh, welcome. Uh, yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Big Thanks. fan of the show. You're just saying that. <laughs> One of our first fans of the show, if I recall. Oh, I don't know. It yeah. could be. Yeah. I, was well, appreciate- I think you might have liked one of our, uh, you know, we released a show and I put it on Twitter and you like, oh, somebody liked it. Right, right, right. <laughs> he likes us. He really likes us. No. <laughs> it's true, yeah. I do. Damn good coffee. And hot. As usual, I'm too old, too new. Two old comic books, two new comic books. I chose, uh, new from Marvel here recently, it's Iron Fist number 80. Put this out on Front Street right off the bat. I'm not necessarily the biggest Marvel guy in the world, so I don't always have the answers when it comes to some of the backstory on these characters. But this is a series that I have been reading ever since, well, since this writer got on the story. This is a writer I enjoy, Ed Brisson. And uh, I've been reading this series, I guess, for the last, I don't know, 15 or 20 issues or so. So I had uh, recommended bringing this or reviewing this on the show before I had quite gotten to it. That being said, now that I've read it, it's actually not my favorite issue of of the series uh, that they've done so far. It's not exactly stellar. What I really like about this series is the fact that it has been kind of um, a throwback kung fu book that that you just don't see. I think about, uh, you know, the old Shang-Chi books and stuff that I used to read way back when, and I love those old kung fu books. And uh, mostly that's what this series has been up until this point. But this issue is the third in this arc of stories. And this arc of stories from Iron Fist is actually spun out of a miniseries that's going on with Marvel right now. That's Doctor Strange Damnation miniseries, which is also something I'm reading and enjoying. I don't think you have to have followed what was going on in Damnation in order to understand what's going on here, other than the fact that... By the time we get to this third issue, the two issues previously had had a lot of story that had to, had to do with this. But uh, as we start, a hotel has sprung up in the middle of Las Vegas, and that's part of the Damnation miniseries, and it's called the Hotel Inferno. And it's basically run by demons and Mephisto himself. Somehow, Danny has gotten himself linked into, into a, another tournament, a kung fu tournament, which actually we've done a couple of those recently. But he discovers that he has to uh, save the life of Orson Randall, who was a previous Iron Fist. He discovers that Orson has come back from the dead, along with a lot of the people in Las Vegas that had apparently been killed after an event prior to the Damnation miniseries. Quick question. Cause, yes, because I'm not that familiar with Iron Fist. I know who he is, and I've read a couple stories with him, but not a story that just focused on him. So the mm-hmm. Iron Fist is something that's handed down generation after generation sort of thing? or Yeah, absolutely. The Iron Fist is the protector of a mystical city called Kun, Kun, Kunlun. I'm not saying that right. Kunlun. And yeah, you have to you have to pass a bunch of tests, and the final test is to fight uh, a mystical dragon, actually, to become the immortal Iron Fist. But yeah, there's been many Iron Fists through history. It's been handed down from person to person, as it goes. Okay. Yes. Cool. When we get to uh, this hotel inferno, he discovers that a former Iron Fist, Orson Randall, has come back from the dead. He decides he wants to try to save his life since he's given the second opportunity. However, Orson has uh, agreed to fight 24 fighters in 24 hours in order to regain his soul from Mephisto. But one of those fighters happens to be uh, Danny Rand's sister, who he suspected was also dead, and as it turns out, has been resurrected as well. So then a choice has to be made between his friend and his sister, obviously. (laughs) All I'm saying is I love Iron Jumpsuit with the big collar. Heck yeah. 
Heck yeah. <laughs> He's got to have that huge pop yellow collar. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. pretty sweet. <laughs> anyway, when, uh, when, when Danny spots that Orson is now having to fight his sister Miranda – he he jumps in, he stops and he says, "Hey, uh we we got to we got to do something about this. I'm not going to let my friend fight and kill my sister." One of the demons then comes in and basically says, "Okay, well you're allowed to uh step in and fight on his behalf, but you're putting your own soul up, you know. It's almost the it's almost the classic devil went down to Georgia kind of thing where Sure. You know, sell your soul to the devil, but uh now you got to play our game and of course the rules, you know, bend to our will as we go. Basically, it ends up a battle royale kind of thing. So Danny agrees, and uh, the four of them jump into the ring and fight the remaining, decide to to take on the remaining demons. And it's basically a big kung fu fight in the ring, all sorts of demons. And of course, the big bad demons, they save the biggest and worst for last. So this this issue, by the time we get to it, they're they're coming up to, to the final half of those of those demons that are left to fight. So it's kind of the big guns at the end of the fight here. Then we get a lot of action pages of, of exactly that. Just a, just a big battle Royale fight. One of the things that this book does too, that I, that I absolutely love is um, every time there's a special move or, you know, some sort of thing that was taught to them as part of the iron fist, it's always got this great ancient name for the move. And, and they always put it in the red box in the fight. So you'll see him come in and they call it the, the great white defense gouge or death from above kick or something like that. And I always enjoy that about this book, how they always have a, a, a fun little name for the move and two by twilight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think they, they had one on here called ridding the field of rodents, which is an interesting uh, <laughs> title for a, for a <laughs> Kung Fu move. Anyway, as, as it goes on, uh, they go on to uh, punch and kick most of these demons and beat them up to no end and comes down to it Orson is 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 injured pretty badly doesn't feel like he's going to uh survive so in a way sort of sacrifices himself in a big iron fist move and uh summons his chi and has a big explosion at the end that takes out some of the remaining guys and I don't know do we spoil other guys but I've pretty well spoiled the most of it anyway Oh yeah we, we do spoilers we yeah We spoil yeah. the heck out of this all right in the end he he sacrifices himself save Danny, his sister Miranda, and Fat Cobra's friend, off they go into the night. That's pretty much that's pretty much this story. It's a lot of action, not a lot of story. Yeah, so that that's where we are with this book. Nice. I have to say, as I said earlier, I did, haven't read too much of, uh, you know, Iron Fist, but this mm-hmm. was kind of a pretty good introduction for somebody that hasn't read it. I know it's in the middle of a story, and you basically have a big fight. As far as his powers and what he can do, I thought it was pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, the story is basically he's fighting a bunch of demons and taking them out on the way to save his sister's soul and that sort of thing and his former mentor, which he ends up dying. But I I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it wasn't anything that, that's, you know, the best thing I've ever read, but I thought it was pretty entertaining. And I have read the first issue of this Doctor Strange Damnation. I just mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm on monthly shipping through DCPS, so I don't. I just got the second one, so I'm kind of waiting till they pile up to go ahead and read it. But other than what was happening in the city of Las Vegas, it's really the only connection it had to that series, anyway. Yeah. To be honest with you, so yeah. it, I think it was okay that you weren't. Um, like I know, I think I think they said this one takes place after the third issue of Damnation, and and I did read it in order so I could make sure to get that, but. Looking back, I don't think you had to at all. No, and it didn't really spoil anything that no. had already happened. So. Well, you know, if you enjoyed this, I would say, you know, go back to the beginning of when Ed Brisson started writing for this, and I, I, th- I because I really do feel all of the other arcs were, were much better than this one, personally. This one was just a lot of action and not a lot of story. Granted, I did say that's what I was looking for, was a good kung fu book. We kind of just got done with a, a tournament he had just done where he had to fight through nine different masters of this other city. And so it felt strange to go back into another tournament again. But uh, but it was still good. Very cool. Yeah, it was fun. It, it was a fun one. I like to read it like just because it was just a big fight scene. And we had a book recently, didn't we, uh, Bill, that was just like all action. Well, Oh, man. 
couple months ago we had. But yeah, every now and then it's fun to get that, you know, out of a story mode. Just here we go. It's a big fun action scene that sets something up. I like the uh, the different demon stuff in there and stuff. But yeah, but like you said, with the different kicks and their names and all that stuff, that was pretty funny <laughs> with yeah. the special moves. Yeah. And then his sister just like making fun of them like. You're complaining. You're a couple of iron fists. Get in here and fight. You know, it's like the two guys are like worried and she's like, get in here and fight. So that was always fun. Yeah, for sure. Yep. This did have two. I think this arc, too, does have a new um, artist. It's been a different artist prior to this arc. This is uh, Damon Cucciero, who's worked with Ed Brisson before. Again, I, I'm a fan of this writer and I've been following this. He's only been working for Marvel for the last year, year and a half or so. Prior to that, he did a lot of different things with Image. This is an artist that he used in the past with Image quite a bit. So it was kind of it was kind of cool to see him bring that former contact into his Marvel stuff, you know. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Nice. The the one thing I want to mention about these Marvel books that I really like, and I don't know how long ago they came back to uh, printing the letters that people sent in, or uh, now I guess it's emails that they sent in, and I really enjoy that about a lot of the Marvel books that they still post those. I don't know if they were remember if they were out for a while or whatever. But it's kind of cool that the title of this page is Everybody Was Kung Fu Writing. <laughs> so yeah, that, yeah, I noticed that, neat. too, in the back matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah cool. I always like that, too. And they post some uh, guys dressed up at Comic-Con, although that I don't, I don't know how great that guy looks. That cosplayer, yeah, I see that. <laughs> he looks like me dressing up as the Iron Fist. Awesome. <laughs> to the Batmobile. Let's go. Our next new book, I actually picked not because I love the character, it's more because I love the writer. And our next new book is Domino Number 1 from Marvel Comics. So our writer is Gail Simone, our artist is David Baldion, colorist Jesus Bertoff, and your letter is Clayton Cowles. And as I said, Gail Simone, I follow her on almost everything. Mm-hmm. She doesn't do much that I'm disappointed in. So was it you and me, or was it oh, or was it me and my buddy Darren? We were discussing Gail Simone in comics, and her name got tagged in our Twitter conversation. So Gail finally eventually mentioned, hey, Seth, could you remove my name from this? I keep getting all the notifications. I was like, mm-hmm. my bad. <laughs> so it was kind of funny because she was tagged. In yeah, it. I think it must have been the other guy. Wasn't okay, it? yeah. So Oh, because we were discussing Secret Six, which is an awesome series if nobody's ever read it. I'll always say that. So, But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But continue. Okay, so her story starts off, I don't know much about this character, I, except from the old X-Force days. I knew she was a merc, but that's about it. But she actually has a mute, the mutant power of luck, which I didn't even know that that existed. And I didn't remember that from like 20 years ago that that was her mutant power. You get a pretty good introduction to the character here. We starts off, and apparently she has a dog, and she's giving every reason why that she doesn't need a dog, and this dog is looking at her with the big old puppy dog eyes, and at the end, it, you find out it's her birthday, and she's like, trial bases, okay? And then we flash back to the beginning of the day, and she's on a mission. She's a, a mercenary, so she's been hired. And I'm I'm not going to pretend I actually know what's going on here with this. They call it timber piracy that she's been hired to take out these guys that that steal trees and steal <laughs> equipment and steal. Uh, I mean, have you guys ever heard of such a thing? Yeah, you know, it happens up here in the Northwest all the time. Yeah, tre- no. It, it <laughs> no, I don't. I just said that. I don't. I don't. I mean. I don't, yeah, I, I haven't heard that, so no, it's kind of funny, though. Yeah. Like, are they stealing trees or trees that were cut down? I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it seems like it's something to do with the mob or something, so I'm not going to try to pretend <laughs> I understand what that really sure. is or anything. Right. But you get to meet one of her partners, Inez Temple, a.k.a. Outlaw, which I've never heard of. And it, it's Marvel, so some of the new Marvel characters I, I'm not that familiar with. I don't know how long she's been around. But they call her crazy 
Inez, but you don't want to call her that last one. <laughs> she might uh, get a little upset. So she, uh, Domino basically takes off and uh, confronts these guys, and they have a hostage. The hostage says to reach into her pocket, and she pulls out some dominoes, where they look like square dominoes to me. I've never seen dominoes like that. To find out that he's some kind of wolf creature mutant type of thing, and that this has all been a setup. You see her power go into, she's shooting her guns and running and escaping a big truck, and her mutant power comes into uh, play. And then uh, Outlaw comes in and kind of does the, you know, what was it, the Wolverine and Colossus fastball special? They called it something different, though, didn't they? They had like a little, or maybe it was no fastball special, wasn't it? Yeah, they actually even used Inez, do I even look Canadian? Sure. (laughs) 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 So there is some pretty... Uh. Cool dialogue in here. And they eventually take out all the the guys, and they're left with this uh, werewolf-type person whose actually name is Grey Wing. And he is the coolest name ever that you would never want. It's Adelbert. (laughs) Adelbert. My father's name is Delbert. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. It's not. I was like, (laughs) well, if your dad doesn't listen to this, hey, dad, I'm on his podcast. I made fun of your name. So those guys were great. If your name is Adelbert, (laughs) we apologize. There goes half your fan base. Right. That's the mistake. Out of our luck, out of the two guys that listen, uh, Sean and Delbert, Delbert's not listening anymore. (laughs) Yeah, that's nobody. <laughs> we entered introduced here to the last partner, which is Diamondback. But last time I remember, she was like a Captain America villain. There, and not a lot actually happens in the story. She comes, she comes home. They put Adelbert in the safe house. He actually says that he he is working Topaz. Topaz was the person that set them up. They go back to Domino's place, there's a surprise birthday party. Some ex-people that if you've read the X-Men before, you might be familiar with. There's Cable, Colossus, Storm, Pixie. Dazzler. Dazzler, that's right. She actually sings. There's, I don't know if that's Beast or not. There's a guy that looks like an eight white balloons, which are kind of appropriate. And you have Dazzler singing. She looks a little different than what I remember. You get a little flashback that really shows you a little about how she came to be. That actually, that that black circle around her eye was a tattoo, and that she had this mutant power. Basically, you see the dog that you saw at the beginning, and there's some fireworks that Dazzler is doing because she has all the light show. You see Deadpool in the back there. Did you notice, too, the dog has the same black circle around the eye as Domino? Maybe that's why she got the dog as a gift. Here's the thing that kind of befuddles me. I don't know if befuddle is the right word, but she goes in her bedroom and she's relaxing with her dog. And this guy on a walker and a woman come walk into her bedroom. And she's like, what are you all doing in my bedroom? He says, my nurse was simply administering my medication. She's like, do I know you guys? I said, I've never, oh, we're just an admirer. And then they give her a gift, and she opens up the gift, two pieces of a domino. Yeah, a broken domino. Yep, a broken domino, and the old man says, Topaz, if you don't mind. And she gets the crap kicked out of her. And right before she goes for a gun, she actually gets tossed out the window, and it's like she can feel her power, and she is falling to her death and she really thinks she's going to die because she can't feel her power. I enjoyed this issue. I think, yeah, there wasn't a lot of story to it. It was mainly introduction to what her character is and the people that are going to play a part in this series, but I love the dialogue and with uh, Gail Simone writing, that's the one thing you get is a lot of good dialogue and there was some funny parts it wasn't like a Deadpool type of funny, but I think there were some very amusing parts, and I enjoyed this one. Yeah, it was a it was a fun one. It was one that I mean, I love Gail Simone. I mean, because of I mean, Secret Six. I think we've talked about. I've even covered it in here, yeah. and so it's cool seeing her writing again. The thing I've always said about Gail Simone though is that she's got to write a team book, 
because it, it, invariably at times it seems like when she's not writing a team book, it falls flat. Like her run on Batgirl started out and then just kind of fell flat, you know. And so when she went back to writing Secret Six, you know, because it was on hiatus and whatever, came back. She does a great job of that, I think. You know, her Birds of Prey writing was amazing. So, so it'll be interesting to see how this book goes. I'll read anything she writes just because I like her. So, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a real entertaining book too. Actually, I, I didn't, I didn't know anything about this character whatsoever. I was coming in completely fresh, and and from that standpoint, Gail Simone did a, a wonderful job because she did everything you want a first issue to do. She she showed us her, you know, she she gave us a good explanation of her power, her skill set, you know, explaining that it's a luck power and even giving us a few examples of how that works, explaining that, you know, sometimes it'll save her life. But, of course, she'll end up with a broken leg or something in the meantime. So it's not a perfect power by any stretch. It did a good job of introducing the, the characters around her. Like you said, she's got these friends. Although, yeah, I was confused about Diamondback, too. You said Diamondback, Bill, was a, it was formerly a... A Captain America villain? Well, she was in late 80s, early 90s. They had all these snake villains all at once. It was like yeah. an early 200s or 300s. I can't remember, but there was like all, all these villains had d- these different snake names. Right. And see, I, I, I think of a Diamondback that was, I thought, a Luke Cage villain, too. But it was a it was like his half-brother, Diamond. It was, you know, it was, a, it was an African-American gentleman who was diamond back in there and that's clearly not what we're dealing with in this book no and i remember the purple hair i just don't remember too much about her but uh overall it was a, I, I thought it was an excellent issue one actually that's what that's what i'm exactly what i'm looking for for a, a first issue is you know give me the characters give me the skill sets of, of these characters give me a little bit of fun and send me on my way you know down mm-hmm. the path of the next issue and i thought it did exactly what it needed to and in fact, I'm going to I'm going to I think I'm going to keep buying this, to be honest. Yeah. With you. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought That's it was cool. a strong start. Yeah. That's cool. So to get back to Diamondback real quick. Yeah. It says her first appearance was in Captain America 310, October 1985. And she was originally a supervillain who was part of the Serpent Society. And mm. that's that's what I was mm. talking about with the the different snake type villains. Right. Some of uh, Cobra Commander's underlings, you know? No. <laughs> Side, we have, we had in that, that uh, Serpent Society, it was Sidewinder, Anaconda, Ass, Black Mamba, Bushmaster, Cobra, and then King Cobra, Cottonmouth, oh, Deathpaddler. <laughs> Cottonmouth, I thought, was a character from, from Luke Cage as well. I wonder if that's the same Cottonmouth. Sorry, go ahead. It could be. There's Princess Python. Rattler. <laughs> that's a... Rattler, that's awesome. Yeah. Don't forget Hognose Snake uh, in there. No. <laughs> <laughs> One of those, Bushmaster, wasn't that Seth's uh, college nickname? Bushmaster. <laughs> you, you can cut that one out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Oh, man. Oof. <laughs> that's hilarious. I, I don't know about that one. <laughs> Thought that's what I had heard. Oh my. Let's take a short break here, and we will be back in a minute. Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy. Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics. Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. It's a blend of classic sci-fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future. Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes. Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books. And Amazing Adventures, where we discuss action-packed adventure stories. 
Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. Next book is gonna be our old book. Yeah, this is this is one I brought actually. So this is Sandman number four. I think the title of the issue is A Hope in Hell. Uh, it's from Vertigo Comics, 1988, written by Neil Gaiman. Artist is Sam Keith and uh, Mike Dringenberg. Covers are Dave McKeon. He's kind of known for these covers of these books, and to be honest, I always hated the covers of these Sandman books. I love these books. It's Something I've read over and over and over again, but I've never been a fan of the covers. But uh, yeah, that's all right. The artwork's fantastic. Inside. This book starts our main character, Morpheus. This is uh, the fourth issue in this series. So we've had a few so far. And just to quick recap some of those uh, first three issues, the quick synopsis is that the Sandman has been imprisoned for 70 years by an occultist named Roderick Burgess. Roderick was trying to capture death to to conquer death and he performed this occult ceremony to try to bring death forth and capture death but instead accidentally got death's brother <laughs> the sandman which uh, his name is morpheus but he is basically the personification of sleep or dreams if you will uh, just as his sister is the personification of death this uh, this occultist kept Morpheus for 70 years thinking, you know, I didn't get death, but I got this powerful being from another dimension. I'm going to keep him until he breaks and I'll eventually be able to use his power for me. Well, Morpheus sits in his imprisonment for 70 years, basically outliving Roderick Burgess and dang near outliving his son before he finally gets his chance to escape, which he does. The premise of this whole first arc is that Morpheus is trying to get his three items back. He has three important items that help him wield his power. And it's a, it's a it's a ruby and it's a bag of sand and it's his helmet. By the time we get to this issue, he has already gotten back his bag of sand and this issue is all about trying to go find his his uh, helmet and that's that's kind of where we open up so this issue opens up morpheus has just gotten back his his bag of sand and he's starting to regain some of his power slowly but until he gets all three of his totems uh, he's not going to have all of his power back and return power to his kingdom. He finds out that the uh, the helmet is actually in hell. And so this issue is about him traveling to hell to try to get it back, which he does. As he gets to hell, he's confronted with a few different demons and whatnot, some crazy looking things. And he eventually runs into Etrigan. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Etrigan or not. It's a character I, I'm a big fan of. I like all of this dark DC Universe stuff. And Etrigan basically tells him, "Yeah, you're in the right place, and I'll 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 point you in the right direction, but it's you're still basically on your own." Some of the some of the things he notices as he's coming up to the outskirts of Hell is there used to be a tiny grove of trees outside of Hell that they refer to as the Woods of Suicide, 
And uh, since he's been away for 70 years, now that he's been, now that he's come back, hell has changed. And he's talking about how he used to remember the the uh, the woods of suicide were a tiny grove, and now it resembles a forest. And hell is changing, and not necessarily for the better. I mean, he can, can it really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Finally, finally, he gets to gets to the center of hell. And it's about as pleasant as you'd expect it to be. All sorts of people being tortured and demons and whatnot. Comes across what is basically the devil and says, uh, I know one of your demon. Demons has my has my helmet and I need it. And I've come here to recover it. The devil basically, Beelzebub basically tells him, you know, th- I'm not in charge of everything here anymore. And uh, there's there's a number of parties that are running the show, and there's he brings in these other couple of demons, which I love the designs on these demons. Um, one of them is like a standing upside down pair of legs with big like housefly eyes on it, and another one is a floating head with about sixteen different eyes in it. I just I love the the demon designs in this book. I love everything about the art in this book. The panel layout is crazy, too. So he claims that a demon has stolen his helmet. The devil basically says, all right, if you think one of these demons has your helmet, you tell me which one. And then it pulls out to this big splash page where you see all of these demons surrounding them. He's basically telling him, you know, it's a, it's a needle in a haystack. Good luck trying to find it. But he uses the powers from his bag of sand. that calls out to the other totems and it actually specifically dust leads toward one specific demon who demon who who um, who he says that's the guy that's the guy who has my helmet he decides he wants to challenge the demon or the demon says you have to challenge me in order to get your helmet back maybe i have it maybe i don't the challenge (laughs) is basically a rhyming challenge in hell the levels of demons, in, at least in hell in the DC universe, levels of demons are determined by their rhyming skills and their speaking skills, and that's that's kind of how you become more important in hell, is uh, the, your level of speech. And so they throw down a battle where they basically keep trying to outdo each other. First, the the demon says, you know, um, I'm a dire wolf, and he says, oh, well, then I'm a hunter who kills your wolf, and they, they kind of throw out these astral projections, you know, showing us what what their battle is going to be between. And they keep outdoing each other. Well, I'm I'm the horse and I buck you off because you're the hunter and then maybe I'm a I'm a fly who stings the horse. And it's basically just kind of outdoing each other over and over and over again until we finally get to the end of the battle and he tells them, well, yes, I am hope. The demon can't think of anything that beats hope. He couldn't imagine anything to beat hope in hell anyway. And that's that's finally what gets him to win. Morpheus gets his helmet back. They try to tell him, you can't leave hell, you know, you're, you're stuck here now. And he basically says, you know, I dare you to stop me because you're not going to, you're not going to have any powers if you keep me here because unless people dream you have no control over threatening to take away their dreams basically they have to they have to let them leave they have to let them head out of hell with his helmet and so now morpheus has his second of three totems and he's going to be looking for his third and final totem before he can totally regain his power that's pretty much where this issue ends off leaving hell gloriously victorious i mean they had a major rap battle you know and then no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Basically, yeah. They even have the big microphone and everything. It's kind of a big rap battle. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. that's definitely what it is. I dig it though. I I think it's a it's it's one of my favorite issues. It's one of my favorite arcs and one of my favorite series. And nice. I'm curious to see what you guys thought of it. Uh, um, you know, I read Sandman years ago. I went on like a Neil Gaiman kick for a while and reading Sandman, and it was. I, it was one of those where I should have started at the beginning to figure out where the heck I was in this comic. But I, I remember I just picked up a trade or something. I can't remember what it was. But um, I always loved the art to it. Um, I like Neil Gaiman from, like, his book American Gods. So when I started reading Sandman, it was really cool. But I could never – I mean, I could understand why people just love Sandman. Um, for me, I just couldn't get into it. Some stuff was really cool. Some stuff I was kind of like – I guess maybe it was over my head. But this issue was just kind of fun. Because this was issue number four, going way, way back, you know, to kind of see where it was going. So, I mean, 
mean, it was it was a cool issue. The art, like you said, the interior art is amazing. And like you, I never cared for the covers of the comics. And I think that was something that turned me off for a while because you see the cover of Sandman. I'm just kind of like, eh, it doesn't look like a regular comic cover, I guess. And maybe that's to its advantage. But then when you get in the inside, it is amazingly. Usually they had really good artists on it and everything. Yeah. So. Yeah, that Dave that Dave McKean was kind of known for his covers, and and yeah. I it always kind of bugged me. It's like he uses he uses um rope and wires and real life things in 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 photography along yeah. with art, all kind of mixed together, jumbled together. Um, yeah, it it just it doesn't work for me. It's it's much more like loose interpretive art, yeah. you know, and yeah. uh, not my favorite. But the interior art. Like I said, I love the panel layout. I love how it it nothing is nothing is just nine square panels ever right. in this book, you know. Right. And and everything flows very strangely. And they use a lot of black in the gutters, and and I like that about it too. It gives the book a very dark feel. And yeah, I'm a big fan. Totally. What about you, Bill? I n- I never really. This is my first issue of the Sandman. I never mm. read any of it before. Don't ask me why, because. <laughs> I was reading comics in mid '80s and on. I never got into this. I got into Preacher, uh, mm. Swamp Thing. Uh, one question I have is Lucifer in this book. Is he the guy from the Lucifer book, or is that a different character? Yeah, no, it's different altogether. This is like um, they they refer to this guy as like Lucifer Morningstar. Okay. They they give him his his full name, and it, it's it's not the same guy at all. It, to be honest, this guy does doesn't even play a huge part in the rest of the series that much. Almost these other two demons that, you know, he, he says hell is a triumvirate now. And uh, you do see those other two demons coming back into play later. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know. Hell or Lucifer jumps in and out from time to time in this, but uh, it doesn't seem to be the same character now. No, I, I, I liked it. It was, it was different. It was cool to see, uh, you know, Etrigan the demon in there. Yeah, I have a uh, connection to the DC universe. Yeah, mm-hmm. the cover I don't have much to say. I don't even know what I'm looking at really, or what <laughs> that's supposed to represent. Yeah, the cover didn't do too much for me, but the inside the art. At first, the art was kind of, you know, it's kind of uh, when I look at it, it's kind of blurry at first because there's a lot of um, ink work, especially in the face and very dark but once yes. it gets sewing i think it gets better and better and it really grew on me it's kind of neat to see you know when they get, he gets down there to hell he sees that if uh you were to imagine what a demon would look like and they got like the ugliest creatures you can imagine yep. guy with 10 eyeballs and people's two mouths and well it leads me to wonder here sean uh your two books have um a large presence of demons in both of them. So I would just like to point that out for our audience. Um, yeah. <laughs> there might be something to that. You know, when I, when I, when I first got started in, in comics, even young, I was reading comics that were probably not very age appropriate. Oh yeah. Um, I come from a small town and comics weren't readily available here. And so a lot of what I got were hand-me-downs from my older cousins who were, teenagers at the time and were reading a little bit more mature and that's how I, I got started on you mentioned Swamp Thing earlier. Swamp Thing is one of my first nice. um yeah first real passions in comics. And I got a lot of that a lot of the dark DC universe, you know, a lot of Etrigan the demon, a lot of Dead Man, a lot of Zatanna, um nice. a lot of Swamp Thing. This kind of where all my start in comics even comes from. So yeah, I guess I probably kind of tend to lean toward the darker oh, side. And there's nothing wrong with that. And be believe yeah. me. So it's funny you mentioned like small town. I'm from a small town too. Our local IGA sold comics, and the ones I was mainly buying were the Tales from the Crypt reprints. You know, so yeah. <laughs> like, you want to talk about dark? It's like yeah, it's yeah. all murder slashing and yeah, whatever. It's awesome. So <laughs> I hear cool. you. Well, I'm glad Very you guys cool. enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. It's definitely a favorite of mine. I think it was something I have to go back and read from the beginning. I recommend it. You know, if you pick up the first trade bill, I think you'd uh-huh. find it pretty enjoyable. You, you mentioned that you like seeing Etrigan and it connects you to the DC universe a little bit. You do get a lot more of that. I don't know if you noticed in the epilogue here, they show um, a little character kind of wasting away. At Arkham um, Asylum, right? Yep. That's, I don't yeah. know if you, that's John D. I don't know if you remember Dr. Destiny. 
Uh, it sounds familiar. I can't yeah. tell you who he is off the top of my head, but yeah, yeah, and and he's locked away in Arkham, and uh, he has been left the um, the Ruby spoilers, and so that's going to be the third guy he comes to to go visit, and uh, whew, boy, it's going to get really dark after that. Nice. <laughs> it, it gets pretty it gets pretty bad, but uh, yeah, I think you might like it. Just a second while I retrieve my beanie, my hair, my tweezers, and my notes. Dark, dark, messed up, and twisted is the old comic that I chose. <laughs> so I chose uh, Body Bags, uh, Father's Day number one. Uh, it's a one of four. My apologies in advance to everybody. <laughs> so this book is written by Jason Pearson. Uh, the art's by Jason Pearson. The cover by Michael Golden. Colored by Digital Chameleon. So, so Body Bags, kind of funny story. I guess funny story. When I was in college, that's when I was reading a ton of Batman. Really really jumped in the Batman phase and and I went to college in Manhattan, Kansas. So Kansas state university, go cats, Ema. That's right. Wildcats. Anyway, we had two, uh, two basically nerd shops in town. One of them was a comic shop. Well, I say comic shop cause they had comics and they also sold like magic, the gathering back when magic, the gathering first came out. So this would have been 96, 97, whatever. The other place was a land cafe actually. So everybody remember what a land cafe is. Yes. Or, or like, or am I dating myself here? So no, Land Cafe. But, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. Okay, so Land Cafe, you could go and pay by the hour to either surf the internet or you'd play online, like playing Doom against everybody else in the cafe. You're in a in a surf oh, room. Okay. So yeah, and so, um, and it was literally called something Unicorn, which is hilarious. But anyway, um, I remember back in the day going to this um shop that was dent. Aggieville, which is the bar district of Manhattan, this comic book shop, my buddy Doug worked there, but he would always be behind the counter playing Magic the Gathering with his buddies, and he always trying to get me to play Magic. I was like, no, it's okay. But they had comics. I remember seeing this comic, Body Bags, when we were discussing, okay, I'm going to do an old comic this time, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do something other than an old Batman, something that's just obscure, weird. And I remembered there was this comic where this guy had this happy face on, and I, and I was like, it took me, man, probably like three, four days searching to find it. You know, it's like, it's amazing how much information is on the internet, but you got to sift through it and find it. And then when I saw the cover, I was like, Oh, Holy crap. That's that comic. I forgot how brutal it was. <laughs> so, yeah. so it is, Oh man. I was like, okay, this is going to be fun <laughs> to read. And there's an interesting story behind body bags. Yeah. It's one of the most violent comics, you know, it was put out by dark horse initially. Well, an imprint of dark horse, it was republished by 12 gauge and it was supposed to be a six issue series initially, but it got cut down because Pearson got sick while, while writing it. Um, I wasn't sure because of what he was writing or no, but he got sick, <laughs> he got ill. So anyway, it is a pretty brutal comic. Obviously it's available on comiXology. Uh, yeah, we're just kind of start from there. So you guys, obviously the messages I got from you guys, just like, Oh my goodness. You know, <laughs> like, what did we read? Yeah. Uh, so basically it starts out with, it's like a newspaper clipping, it talks about uh, some Norcross explosion fallout. New leads may implicate the rival body bagger. Basically, Clownface, who was, well, we learned about Clownface later on, and his partner were killed inside this, in a building, was blown up. And they think it was his rival, Janice Lazardo, who was a protege. So they're bounty hunters, basically. Clownface is a bounty hunter, and Lazardo's a body hunter. So you're hearing a knock at the door, and there's just a face of this big burly guy. And it's the shadow of the man standing from the door is just huge. Opens it up. So there is a lot of language in this comic, so I won't read all of it, but there's a lot of violence too. So anyway, a uh, little old lady opens up the door, and she just starts yelling at this guy. I mean, GD, you ugly. Some people just need beauty sleep. Yo ass needs a coma. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so the guy just shows a shadow. like his geech in, and she's like, yeah, what is it, yeah? So... He punches her just straight in the face. So this kind of sets the tone for this whole comic is um, blood all over her face. And he just walks by her wearing his Chuck Taylors nonetheless. So you see this. So so in the back, you got these two people. They're sitting there snorting cocaine, drinking. Another lady who was uh, snorting cocaine with the T-shirt says baby and shows that you know she's pregnant. And uh, they're just having a conversation. <laughs> this guy, Geech. And it's kind of funny now because he's talking about if he had it was a director and all this stuff, he'd make black westerns, which is kind of funny because then, you know, we had Tarantino make Django Unchained, which is as you're reading this, you're like, oh, my goodness, he's talking about this. Geech is this um, gangster looking guy. You know, he's talking about <laughs> making black westerns, which is pretty awesome. And they actually do throw a little bit of history in there, how there were a lot of black people after the Civil War became and 
you know, went to the to the Wild West and stuff. So, so yeah, they're just sitting there talking. Ladies flipping through the channel, talking about 90210 being on and all that stuff. He's just getting continuing about history and how it's wrong. And uh, there's some lines that I'm not going to repeat, <laughs> obviously, uh, when the big guy from the door shows up with Geech and he crushes this can right in front of him. And the line he says is pretty, pretty bad, but it's it's clown face. And here's clown face standing here. And clown face is this big guy with a mask that looks like a happy face, but with like the clown markings on him. And he's just asking, where's Janice? You know, and again, from the beginning of the newspaper clipping is that Janice blew up this building that clown face was in. And uh, Geech is uh, basically saying, I don't know where he's at. Uh, you know, and clown face is saying, don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Well, the other gal that's with Geech is uh, supposedly dealing with the television. She's grabbing a gun. So Clownface pulls out a big honking knife. Geech, how many months pregnant is your wife? And Geech goes, well, I don't know, seven, maybe eight months. Why? Clownface goes, exactly. And she goes, eight months in a few days. And she's standing behind him with the gun pointed at his head. Well, let's just say he just pushes the knife backwards. And he goes, your baby's dead. Now where is Janet? It is just messed up and that's where my jaw dropped <laughs> yeah the, the jaw dropped yeah. and i'm like what the heck what is yeah, yeah. this what the heck did seth have us read right yeah i, I have I my note i have my notes here and i just have scribbled really big on the top machete abortion <laughs> oh my gosh oh, uh, wow. and there was so little to write after that just machete abortion it's pretty bad and that was the point when i remember from reading this in college Oh, crap. I forgot about that. <laughs> so and we're laughing. Here's why people don't get offended. It's a comic book. It's a violent I'm, comic book. I'm so, not laughing. Oh, oh, you're not. But I'm sitting here. I'm the only one laughing here. My bad. That's what it sounds yes. like. OK, <laughs> so we're going to. It's gonna... at Seth must die on Twitter. <laughs> so so uh, we'll go back and edit my laugh and I'll be sobbing. That's what it'll be. But in anyway, a dark um, place in your life, Seth. Maybe just a little bit. Um, right. So, <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, so Geech is calling her a murderer. And uh, so Clownface's response is, murderer, with all that blow she snorted, her baby was already dead. Put six inches straight up to her heart will make your uh, accusation accurate. Meaning if he moves the knife now, he's going to kill her also. So all, all of a sudden, Geech comes clean and says, okay, JoJo, you know, is Janice is at a house. Uh, JoJo's house on Chastity Drive is where... Janice is. Yeah. So and he kind of leaves it at that as he's leaving, you know, he's trying to get the gun to shoot him and he just flips off the light switch uh, with the knife and you see the gun fire and stuff. And then it says Father's Day part one. So that's the um, opening uh, to the comic. And it's a uh, pretty, pretty messed up. Next thing you see, there's an air. Uh, they're in an airplane and uh, they're flying and Stuart is talking a little to a lady saying, man, please turn down your radio. It's loud. Uh, your music's loud. It's bothering the other people. And she's just being ignored. Uh, she says it again. So then the girl just flips her off, <laughs> flips off the stewardess. So then the stewardess walks away, calls her a, um, well, you want me to say it or you want me to edit? Calls her a B word. We'll say it that way. Well, calls her a B word. Well, the girl then has to stop on her uh, Walkman, gets up in the aisle. And uh, just kind of walking down the aisle. And, of course, she's, you know, pants kind of hanging. So you're seeing her underwear. And uh, some gal, um, some some guy grabs her butt. And it's some just big douche, basically. And makes some comments that are inappropriate. <laughs> and uh, it flashes back to Clownface. Talking about, you know, he's talking to his buddy who's with him. Because he's driving his car, and they're just kind of ramming all the cars off the road. Talking about, hey, we're looking for Janice. He tried killing us. I'm not playing any more games, Pop. So he's, you know, he's, uh, we got to get this dealt with. And uh, Pop is another bounty hunter basically with him. So uh, both of them are looking for Janice who tried killing them is what it is. But the great thing is, is they're just driving through traffic, hitting cars um, and pedestrians. You know, everything's in their way, and it doesn't matter because they're just <laughs> – you know, he's just out for a daily drive, you know, a Sunday drive and just it doesn't matter. Just taking everyone out. So um, next goes back to the airplane and uh, you, the captain says a message. Sorry, this disturbance has been taken care of. You know, there was a uh, folks is the captain. Please settle back in your seats. Seems there was a slight disturb disruption in the main cabin, but the disturbance has been taken care of. Thank you. And then it shows uh, 
this lady uh, saying, ma'am, do you wish to call the authorities when she shuts down? This could be considered assault and battery towards your son. So it's this older lady. What you see then is the guy who had grabbed the young girl's butt has just got the crap beat out of him. I mean, face swollen, blood, teeth all over. His mom says, my stepson received what he deserved. And it shows the girl just sitting, you know, walking back to her seat and sitting down. And, of course, the steward saying, ooh, pick up the teeth. So <laughs> uh, next, back to Clownface. They get to the house, and uh, he's just – they burst in through the door. Well, they don't use the door. The car kind of runs into it. He has some choice words for Janice. Janice jumps up, starts shooting, and uh, Clown Boy is, uh, just kind of dodges the bullets and just uh, throws the knives and uh, throws them right through and an explosion at the back. And uh, basically, uh, he's kind of thinking he's okay. Clown Face got away. You know, he's thinking he got away from Clown Face, speaking in Spanish and everything. So big explosion. Next, back to the airplane. Uh, the best part is the airline message. Thanks for flying Atlantic Airlines. We're not dying in a massive fireball is our business. So the uh, announcement over the intercom. <laughs> the young girl's walking, and the old lady stops her again. Says she wants to apologize for her stepson's action. You know, has a has a uh, strong family code, um, but unfortunately, Junior doesn't believe it extends to women. Says, accept my apology. So the one young gal says, yeah, I really got to pee. Is there anything else? Because they're in the bathroom, and... Kind of a conversation. So we know later on in the series, um, it's going to come together with them. If you read it, the four-issue series, it's going to kind of carry on. Next thing you know, the guy who's running from Clownface is trying to break into a car, can't get in. And here's Clownface again, just slicing with his big knife again. And uh, just right in front of him, he says, ah, you missed. You onto the car. And all of a sudden, he realizes that his nose <laughs> it's his nose. Just got him right on the tip of the nose. Oh, it's amazing. And basically, he sees his nose fall off, and uh, the panels on this are just great, I think. Did you guys like the panels where it just starts going, his nose falls off, and slowly, sl- yeah. yeah, slowly <laughs> sliding off his face? I, and he's all, yeah, I can't say that I enjoyed it, but <laughs> I maybe all, did a little bit. He says, by dose, you cut off by dose. By dose. By dose. By dose. So. So he starts shooting again at uh, Clownface. He's like, you ruined my face, die. And Clownface is getting hit. You know, these bullets are hitting him, hitting the car around him and stuff. And, of course, it hits the gas tank and the car just explodes back to the airport. Little girl's just kind of walking. There's this, you know, crazy guy with his, uh, well, think of your normal street preacher with the sign that says Jesus saves. I mean, he's yelling stuff like, which Jesus will kick your ass into if you don't follow his word, you know. You know, a little bit different on a uh, street preacher, and he calls the young girl a harlot and a whore and come to the bathroom and I'll save you. He ends up slapping the girl. You refuse me or whatever. And uh, basically, we can only assume no good uh, comes of him. So <laughs> back to uh, the hideout where Clownface is, and he keeps talking to, um, you know, Pop earlier. He's taking his pills to feel better. Him and Pop are talking about we should cool down. There's a lot of heat on them now because of all this stuff. And here's Clownface just basically working out with a punching bag after getting fixed, you know, because he got, you know, he's wearing a bulletproof vest and stuff. Yeah. His face is even bulletproof. Yeah, because he got shot right in the head. I mean, you know, yeah. it's just, but Janice got away basically from the car explosion. So he's still on the hunt for Janice. Um, so, yeah. So they're just kind of going back and forth, him and Pop talking about how we need to slow down or this. And they're just kind of arguing, just kind of discussing really what Janice did to him. Basically, Janice turned on him, all that. And there's a knock at the door. And uh, he goes, yeah, what? And then you open the door. and It's the girl from the airplane. It says, after 10 years, can't you say something nicer than that to your own daughter? And there she is standing right there. So a first comic. And again, it was originally supposed to be a six issue. It's a four issue. There's a lot going on. But really, I mean, like most good intro comics, you get a backstory, you know, sort of. As far as what Jan- what um, Clownface does, obviously he's a bounty hunter. Another bounty hunter turned on him, so he's out for revenge. And then we get introduced to his daughter, who we see is kind of a fighter like he is. Um, but it is a brutally graphic, violent comic uh, is the thing. So, yeah. <laughs> but it's par for the course for the mid-90s, though, actually, when you look at it. So, so you guys, your thoughts. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Machete abortion. <laughs> I mean, um, it, I I didn't I didn't hate this book at all. Actually, right. it's certainly not my 
taste. But that being said, it it's a well-written story. I was getting the fact that, okay, this the, the, these body baggers are bounty hunters, basically, kind yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. And uh, there seems to be uh, two, like, like two factions, I guess, that are kind of warring with each other in the process. Mm-hmm. I, I liked the art. It, it, it is strange because I kept getting from the writing style, I kept getting kind of a Sin City kind of dark, you know, gritty, yeah. realistic kind of vibe to it. But the art is almost the opposite. It's very bright and it's very colorful. Um, and it's kind of reminiscent of like, you know, when when Image Comics first started, and it was all about, the, you know, the, the, the artwork and the how big and fancy we can make everything and it was kind of it was kind of cool artwork i i definitely liked it it kind of had a video game style to it that i liked too right and initially uh, when you look at it the the style of the comic was to offset the style of the writing is really what it comes down to it makes it so so bright and violent that it's almost opposite of what the story is telling you basically you know you you expect the art to be dark to match but it's not yeah. it's very it's very colorful it's very Almost mm-hmm. childish in parts, like like the 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 same artist could be writing kids comic, you know, could be drawing kids comic books. Yep. And I liked that. I liked that they did it. You expect it to be dark and gritty, like like the writing, but it isn't. It's it's the opposite. And I thought that was a neat twist on what you usually get. Like I said, it reminded me of Sin City, but that art is real dark and. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I did enjoy it. I guess in a weird way, if that's a right. word I should use. <laughs> I, I I thought it was a well done comic book yeah. when it was all said and done. That's at 10KB <laughs> on Twitter. It's true. It's true. True story. Yeah. True. Uh, what about you, Bill? What do you think, man? If you take out the one scene right. out of this yeah. book, it really wasn't that bad. I think that one scene really is over-the-top graphic. Right. That. Although, yeah. Yeah, it, it got its point <laughs> across, but it was so shocking. I guess that was so shocking. Right. So, and here's the thing here. So this you know, is, and this is when people bring this up because I was thinking about it anymore. So we all love the killing joke, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember the shocking scene in the killing joke? Yeah, with Barbara Gordon. Exactly. Where posed her nude yeah. and made Jim Gordon stare at those, right? Yeah. Pretty yeah. shocking. But everybody loves the killing joke. So, I mean, it's kind of like, it's so as far as when you go, oh, this was shocking. It, it totally was. I'm not trying to say it, but I'm like, mm. We just see it in a different context from in like a superhero comic or, you know, the Joker's done way, you know, worse, wilder, crazier stuff. Heck, remember when Joker was going to kill a room full of babies and uh, ended up carrying Sarah Gordon because of that? You know, so, I mean, it's like, so there's things, but it's just so out of the ordinary. And this is, I mean, again, this was so violent and just straight up what he did was just like, wow. So I get it. So, yeah. It was the casual, I was going to say, it's the casual nature in which it's carried out, too, that exactly. at, least, at least with the killing joke, there's this big buildup, and, right. and and it's like, haha, I'm evil, look at look at this evil act I've done. Mm-hmm. Clownface isn't even looking behind him as he just kind of slides his knife into her gut. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> you know? true, he knew exactly where she was, he goes, eh. yeah, so. Yeah, no, no big deal. Yep, yeah. it was brutal, that's for sure, so. But yeah, it was entertaining, I mean. The dialogue, uh, the dialogue. At was Gotham Night Thirteen. <laughs> I said the dot, di- the so dialogue. Very entertaining. At right, Gotham right. Night Thirteen, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Well, I think some of the things, like I said, the dial, especially the dialogue between um, Clownface and Pop, is really good when they're discussing, you know, because you know, Pop's like, "Hey, we should lay low. We've been doing this." He's like, "No, I'm gonna get him." I mean, basically, he's just like, "Nope, I'm not done. This is what's gonna happen." So, so definitely, probably. So uh, next time I'll have to do a very light, fluffy comic to uh, make up for this one, folks. So, <laughs> yeah, my little pony like, uh, friendship little is pony magic. I was just thinking, there yeah, friendship go. is magical. We're there gonna have to go. do that. So, <laughs> I guarantee there's less machete abortions in the My Little Pony series than there is in this. <laughs> that sounds like an. This might be the only comic extreme, that has an this. extreme metal band name. Is what that sounds like right there. Machete abortion. Yeah, uh, opening for Guar. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's the old one. <laughs> Body bags now, now banned from the uh, internet and uh, the podcast. So, <laughs> so yeah, you, you didn't write this book, Seth. So no, I did know. not. No, no, yeah. <laughs> I just want to make sure. Yeah, let's, no. let's make sure Jason Pearson is banned from the internet wherever yeah. he is. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> oh, it's too funny. Bill's still like just stumped. He's like, I just read it again. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Who is this guy I've been partnered with? <laughs> I, I 
Yeah, I just don't know what to say. I do have to say that if we were discussing, you know, the other, the Batman book, I don't think it would be quite as shocking. You know, in, in but remember when that came out, it was really shocking because it only came out. Let me see. When did the? Oh, I should Isn't know there, this off my head. What year did that come out? Like right, because this was ninety six when this ninety seven when this came out. Killing Joke comic came out in eighty eight. So yeah, I mean, talk about I shocking. I feel like too though with the Killing Joke, some of that stuff was left to your ima- it was insinuated and left to your imagination, not right. exactly spelled out for it. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, because I believe there was there was I think some pretty heavily. It's been a long time since I've read the Killing Joke, but I, it seems like there was an insinuation that that the Joker had raped her too, or something like that, or or sexually yep. abused yep. her, yes. or, yeah, or something. Yep. Yeah, yeah, there was. Yeah. Well, and that came out. It was DC Comics. This was what was Dark Horse. Dark yeah. Horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they they don't even have the Dark Horse name on no, it anymore. No. They're from my neck of the woods, though. They're from Portland, Oregon, so yeah. Who is? Dark Horse. Well, they're Milwaukee, Oregon, I guess, which is a suburb of Portland, but yeah. Oh, Dark Horse Comics themselves, you mean? Yep, yep. yep. Mm-hmm. We have an email from a fan. It's uh, from Darren, who has written us one time before. He's from R&D Adventures Network. He does Warlord, War- Warlord Worlds oh. and a few other podcasts with his wife, cool. Ruth. And he says, hi, Bill and Seth. I've been meaning to send an email for a few weeks now, but it always slips my mind. But here it is, finally. I really have enjoyed your podcast back these last few months. It's always a fun listen. I had a nice chuckle at your three old one new gimmick a couple of episodes ago when Seth chose an older book for his new selection. And then I noticed Seth was missing from a next episode from the Parlopod crossover that I did right, with yeah, David yeah. Schultz. Bill, did you ban <laughs> Seth for an episode? And he says, you know I'm both just awesome. joking. <laughs> I like hearing your thoughts about Mike Grell's Green Arrow recently as well, Bill. Of course, you know how I feel about that series. And his Warlord Worlds podcast is a podcast dedicated to Mike Grell, everything that he has written. Nice. Says have a great day, guys. Until next episode, Darren. Awesome, thanks, so, man. So That's cool. awesome, Thank Darren. I, yeah. I'll have to check out that pod. War, Warlord Worlds is yes. what it's called. Yeah. Okay. Mike so, Sean, podcast. Yeah. You know, you know the story of my old comic, right? That I did by accident, like because I didn't realize how old it was. <laughs> yes, I I listened to that episode as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was just like, because it caught me. I'm like, oh, it's that old. Dang. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's too funny. It worked. <laughs> it worked out. Yep. Just yeah, just fine. fine. So good. So, yeah, he does, Darren and Ruth do uh, Trekker Talk, Warlord World, and Xenozoic Xenophiles. Wow, they do three, yeah. eh? Wow. Yeah. Wow. All with his wife? That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty neat. I can't get my wife to listen to one of my podcasts, much less do one with me. Yeah, yeah. me either. So. Actually. Yeah, me. Oh, wait, never mind. Actually. Jeez. Actually. <laughs> I wasn't bring I wasn't bringing it up. No, I know. <laughs> Actually, when uh, David Schultz, and he's gonna love this, was helping us out with our promo, his kid was singing "Too Old, Too New" intro. Oh yeah. And he recorded it and played it for me. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. That, that is that's good. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. No, I've played it for my wife before, and she's like. Who's that guy singing? I said, I don't know. Some dude that did it for me. Says, you don't know who it is? I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <Don't have> <laughs> he just sings it out. It's pretty cool, you know. <laughs> Anything else you guys would like to add? Oh, man. I, hey, thanks for uh, coming on, Sean. It's awesome. Stop by anytime. It's always fun to have someone else talk in comics with, too. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, I appreciate it, you guys. Uh, I'm a big fan of the show, so it's, it was it was it was an honor when you gave me the opportunity to to come join you guys. I I I, I appreciate it very much. Yeah, give, give me your PayPal address again, so I could send you that money for saying that. So yeah, yeah no. no problem, no problem. 
Yes, thank you very much. A lot of fun. Good insight. Enjoyed your comics a lot. It's always good to see. Because I think Bill and I, we get not stuck in a rut of like, we both love superheroes so much. And we try to go through phases where we're not just talking about superhero stuff, just like stuff outside of that. So, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, very much. I like the superhero stuff, too. Don't get me wrong. I I got my fair share of capes. Uh, I'm a big Batman fan as well. I know you guys are both Batman enthusiasts as well, but. And I was tempted with with my old one to go with a Batman book because there's so many great old Batman books, but uh, I, I steered it the other way this time. But, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. For sure. Next time I'll bring some Batman, maybe. Do it. We'll just do an old Batman show. Then our fans oh. will be like, seriously, Batman again, guys? No. <laughs> if you'd like to join the conversation, we're over on Twitter at Too Old Too New. I'm at Gotham Knight 13. Seth is at Seth Must Die. And we have an email. If you'd like to email us, tell us how we're doing, suggestions, comments, anything like that. It's 2O2NewPodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. If you listen to us on iTunes, we would appreciate it if we got our first iTunes review. That would help other people seeing our podcast and uh letting it know that you enjoy it if that's everything for sean seth i'm bill and we will see you later